I'm going to continue uh, the message for just a little while this morning. Poison weeds among holy seeds. The parable of the wheat and the tares. The parable of the wheat and the tares. And we're going to have uh, worship just before we leave here today. If you have your Bible, turn with me once again for review to Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30 parable of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read the first part of this parable. It says another parable in verse 24 of Matthew 13. He put forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Say it, say that with me, tares among the wheat. Tares among the wheat. I'm going to stop just a minute before we read the rest of this and tell you something about tares. Uh, most Bible scholars using the Greek word that was used to interpret that word tares. Uh, it, it, it is a plant. It's of the ryegrass type. It's not the ryegrass that you put out in your yard. But it's from that plant group. It grows tall as wheat. It has no fruit it does have seeds and the seeds if you take them too many of them if you should grind them up and take too many of those seeds they would begin to affect you one of the effects you would get drowsy sleepy you would get in a state that's like being inebriated like you were in a drunken state that's the seeds of the tear when they grow up they because there's no wheat kernels, they stand tall and straight among the wheat. That's why you have to wait till both of them come to maturity. And it's not just by looking to see if there's any fruit. The wheat, it's just self-evident to wheat. Because the weight of the kernel of the wheat causes them to bow. The wheat is always bowed with the fruit. The tear is always standing tall and unbowed. And there's a big difference between Jesus as your Savior and Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it's an important distinction to make. Because we've got a doctrine today that declares that you can receive Him as your Savior and never once consider his lordship or to what degree he can be your lord and that's why we have that disconcerting scripture in the new covenant many will say this is not going to be a few people but this is going to be a whole bunch of people that think they're going to heaven and they are not and somebody needs to be sounding a warning from the pulpits in churches all over the world because making people comfortable in an unsaved, sinful condition is going to aid and abet the enemy to take the souls for which Christ died to purchase. And make no mistake about it, God doesn't want any lost. He doesn't want the tares lost. He wants them saved. But the hardest people to get saved are the people that don't know they need to be saved because they think that they are saved. That's the hard people. When I ministered in the jail uh, in Tampa uh, and people acknowledged that they were lost, we had conversions occur. 
When I first started preaching in the prison system, there was a man that sat in the back. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I, I prayed before I went in because they, they wanted my blood type. In case that, uh, because see, I, I didn't go to the chapel service where the chaplains are able to go and ministers are able to go and they let the people on good behavior out to come to a Bible study. No, they just give me a cell block in the back of the place. They opened all the cells and let anybody come. And there were at the, uh, the Sunday service where the people on good behavior came, uh, they had guards standing there looking over everything. Back where I was, there was no guards. So all the way in the back corner, they opened up an empty cell block. And uh, me and about 30 men walked in. And uh, we had quite an experience back in there. <laughs> Amen. And I looked over that crowd and I was just trying to, to see who might, I think might be a, you know how you do. You just look, you look, see who might be a good guy and who might be a bad guy, a real bad guy. And, and, and you look back there and I look back in the corner and there's a guy. He just, his eyes looked lifeless. He just looked like he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to hear. I, I don't know if he's just stir crazy. He wanted something else to do. Came to the Bible study. But you know, we cast the net out. The Bible said when you cast the net, you get all kind of fish. Some of them are keepers and some of them you have to throw back. But you cast the net anyway. Praise God. And I thought, of all the people in here that probably going to be a throwback, it's probably that guy because he, he, just, he, he, he just looked mean. He just looked like he could, you know, I thought, I don't know what he's done, but I hope he's done with doing it. Can you say amen? Because <laughs> there's no guards in here. And I prayed. I'd never been in jail ministry. And, and, but that guy caught my eye. Nobody else seemed to be intimidated. That guy actually was an intimidating looking guy. Amen. So we had our, our services and, and uh, we had a service where a fight broke out because two guys that had been separated because they hated each other for whatever reason, they came to the Bible study and, and I bowed my head. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And just after I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I heard that big thump of, of somebody getting hit. And... Uh, Two men were in the floor and blood was beginning to pour out of both of them because they were trying to kill each other. And I was hollering for the guards to come and they didn't come. And I told the guys that were in there, I said, if, if somebody gets killed in here or hurt bad in here, and they're in the floor going at it. I said, and, and this is a fight. I mean, these people, they were not, come on, this was not... Boxing. This was not MMA. This was worse. This is, you know, I was afraid there was going to be teeth, hair, and eyes all over the floor before it was over. And I didn't want to see that. And I, I knew what would happen. The devil's time to disrupt the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to hear the gospel of Jesus because there's power in this gospel. Amen. And every time the gospel is preached, there is spiritual warfare. The pastor may not understand that. In Bible colleges, they don't talk much about that. And they certainly don't teach you 
about spiritual warfare. They do not. I know people with doctor's degrees that know little or nothing about spiritual warfare. When the gospel is preached, amen, it is to be preached in power because there are powers that are going to come against it. And if you don't believe the devil exists, D.L. Moody was asked by a journalist, you seem to be an intelligent, educated man. How can you believe in the devil? (laughs) He said, if you don't believe in the devil, why don't you try resisting him sometime? Can you say amen? You'll find out how real he is. Amen. He's real. He fears the gospel. And, and, but it gives me a, a boldness because I know that Satan fights only what he fears. If it doesn't intimidate him, he's not going to fight it. But if it intimidates him, he's going to fight it. Somebody said one time about his desire to squelch worship, to keep us from really getting loose and praising God because our our burdens and our distractions and discouragements are weighing so heavily upon us. Amen. Listen, praise. The Bible said with the high praises of God in my mouth and a sword in my hand, so shall kings and princes be bound with fetters of iron. Can you say amen? That means these powers, these principalities, when we determine to worship God in spite of all the stuff that goes on and we're going to give God the glory that is due Him. I get up in the morning, I do not return a phone call unless there's an emergency. First, that is secondary. I do not listen to the news to find out what they did here, who did that there, what's going on here. I did not read, amen, in Charisma Magazine with a recent article on, on the terrible uh, compromise and the and the, the insurrection and the rebellion in the church and the shallow gospel and what it's producing before I get any of all that bad news. I walk out in my backyard, I lift my heart and my hands to heaven and declare and proclaim, this is the day. Regardless of what it holds, regardless of what happened last night, regardless of what's going to happen in the future, this is the day. I've lived to see it. I am here today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Give us this day. We've not promised tomorrow and yesterday's gone, but give us this day our daily bread. Can you say, man, this is the day, therefore. That the Lord has made. And I proclaim, you are in control. You sit upon the circle of the earth. Hallelujah. You are able to subdue everything unto yourself. Your holy eternal purpose and your will. Nothing is going to happen today that you don't know about. And nothing's going to happen that you are not in control of. Hallelujah. Now I can return the call. Now I can listen to the news. And I can still have victory in my soul. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Tares are among the wheat. It's here. It's happened. They grow up together. Listen to what he said. They call this the Darnell seed. It, it makes people sleepy. If they would grind it up. Too much of it can kill you. That's why I titled this message, Poison, 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 Weeds Among Holy Seeds. 
Why would the devil do that? What is the damage he's going to do? One of the terrible things we do in the church of Jesus today is to compare ourselves with each other instead of compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. I talked to a man about the Lord where I worked, wanting to lead him to the Lord. I told him where our church was because he respected me as a minister. I said, why don't you come and worship with us some Sunday? He said, oh, I'm up every Sunday morning in time for church. This was back in the days of the mini-dress. I don't know if you remember the mini-dress. Brother Hobbs said, oh, yeah. (laughs) The 70s. It's like two preachers riding in a car. Two ladies in mini-dresses walking down the sidewalk. And one of them said, Look what the world is coming to. Just look at that. Well, we're men. And so, ladies, I just encourage you to remember, we're men. Have some mercy on us. Help us with temptation. Amen. God made you beautiful. God made you beautiful. I love the way one young man handled the temptations, you know, in such a sexually stimulating world that we live in. Sex sells everything. I mean everything. So he said, he said when I got saved, I, I needed to be sanctified. I needed to get in a place that I didn't just keep giving in to temptation. And he said, I asked the Lord to help me with this, and he did. He said, when I see a beautiful young woman... He said, I say, way to go, God. And once you bring the Lord into it, you, it changes the perspective. You made this person so beautiful, so attractive, but, but it's not for me to leer at. It's not for me to, to lust after. Oh, no. Listen, listen. We live in a world and a culture that is so drifted from God. And that's why we need to, to not compare ourselves with one another, but to compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. This man didn't want to go to church because of the hypocrisy. He said, I can't wait to see the ladies that are going to sing in the choir before they put their robes on. I like to sit on my porch. He lived across from an Assembly of God church. And he said, I like, this is a Pentecostal church that used to have some pretty stringent standards. And he said, I like to watch the young ladies when they get out of the car in their mini skirts. You see what tares among the wheat do? The Bible said you're either a positive force for the Lord or your negative force for the Lord, you and I. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. There's no neutrality. There's no neutral ground. He he that is not for me is against me. You can't serve two masters as the teaching is today. For you will love one and hate the other. Hate one and love the other. Believe me, the wheat love Christ. And the tares don't care. So I'm not teaching today who is a tear. I'm teaching today to make sure you're a wheat. Is it okay to make sure you're on your way to heaven? Make sure you know, that's settled before you die? As a tree falleth, so shall it lie. After death, there's no second chances. This is the day of salvation. 
this right now. There'll never be a better time than right now to be saved. The devil, one of the devil's lives is put it off. Do it someday. When you're old and in your rocking chair and sin is not as available to you and you're not as available to sin. It's like the guy that left his wife for, two, for his, 40, his 40-year-old wife for two 20-year-olds. That's what he wanted. Dating two 20-year-olds. His wife told him, says, says that'll never happen and you know it because you're not wired for 220. Amen. I remember going to a Jesus rally, and I forget who was doing the preaching that night. Me and my son slept in a tent. We, I, 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 I stayed hungry for God while I was preaching. No, and you're not wired for 220 either. Just forget about it. Forget about it. I'm not either. And you're not either. Okay. But there's tares among the wheat. Can you see Satan's strategy? Just let hypocrisy be seen by people who are looking at what is called the Christian church and the Christian people today. And let them see such hypocrisy that they say, you know, I don't want any part of that. I I don't want any part of what isn't real. These folks are phony. They are not real. They're not living in any way and any semblance that would represent a different kingdom that is diametrically opposed to the kingdom of this world. Can you say amen? You can't serve two masters. And yet there are people in churches, and I'm talking about Pentecostal, crazy-matic churches, amen, that used to, holiness used to be the standard. Maybe too much. Maybe legalism was creeping in. But instead of just dealing with that and finding the correct balance, we've come like a pendulum. We've swung from legalism all the way over into liberalism, amen. And we're accommodating that that will will absolutely poison. If you follow, listen, evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications, and we're not talking about manners at the table and manners and protocol if you were sitting at the president's uh, uh, table in, in Washington, D.C. We're not talking about that. The actual scripture would read this way in the Greek. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. So who you hang with, who you associate with, you're either going to win them to Christ if they're not Christian, or they're going to pull you from what you know is right. Amen? Amen? You're not going to be neutral hanging around people that keep leading you into sinfulness. And I'm not talking about living in a vacuum. Somebody said, Pastor, if I really sell out and live for Jesus and become a follower of Him and a true disciple, will I have to give up my flaky friends? And I tell them, absolutely not. You start living for Jesus and they'll give you up. Oh, yeah. And you say, well, I don't want to lose my friends. Well, why don't you find some friends that love God? Why don't you connect with some people that love the Lord to help you follow Him? See, in every congregation, doesn't matter where in America and in the world, the enemy has sown tares among the wheat. 
He wants us to compare ourselves with that. There are people in leadership that people say, if they can do it and be blessed, I can do it. Amen. 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 If they can do it and God doesn't chasten them and everything is flowing their way and they come over as spiritual, I can do it. No, you can't. I remember when a, a prominent televangelist divorced his wife and married another woman. And a young lady decided she wanted to tell her old man to hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more. You remember the song, Hit the Road? She, told, she wanted to tell him to hit the road, Jack. She didn't want to pray. She didn't want to intercede. She didn't want to be patient. The Bible said if the unbeliever be content to live with you, don't run. Don't break the vow. For you don't know that by the chaste conversation of the wife, coupled with fear that you might say that that you might see that person saved if you just hang in there a little while. But when Christian leaders don't hang in there for the sake, uh, and this is not an unbeliever, this is a two believers that become have irreconcilable differences. Isn't it amazing that two people that have a Bible, that have become Christian, have no way of reconciling? Can't find a solution to their marital problem? And so this young lady pointed out to me, they did it and he's going on in his ministry. As if nothing had happened. So I can do it. I said, I don't care. If he did it, it doesn't make it right. I don't care. People still support the ministry. It doesn't make it right. Brother, are you judging him? No, God's already judged that as wrong. And if we don't have anybody in the pulpit that can't tell you what's right and what's wrong, they don't need to be in a pulpit. This idea of don't judge anything, let everybody do everything, is not biblical, it's not scriptural. So there are tares among the wheat. And some of them are in pulpits. Some of the hardest people to ever see changed is people that's been in church all their life doing good works. Even living many times a high moral standard. They're hard people to preach to because they presume and assume that they're okay. And they're not. They've never met the Master. So it became hard 40 years ago as a young minister then. 40 from 69. How old would I have been? (laughs) Mike isn't here. He's a math teacher. 40 from 69. I'd be 29. I'd be 29. I told you I was a young minister. 29 is very young to me now. I started ministering when I was 27, and I saw the breakdown in Christian leadership shortly thereafter. And now it's pervasive. One man came out and declared that he was a homosexual. He has a church of 8,000 people in Georgia. And he came out with a wife and two daughters and declared his homosexuality. And they applauded him for his honesty and integrity. And he's in the pulpit today. God's Word says something else. And this is the problem. 
If the blind lead the blind, everyone ends up in the ditch. Can you say amen? The Bible said of the prophets of old that didn't have a word from the Lord, that they prophesied by their means. by their They have put themselves in that position. They, they say what they know the people want to hear. But he said if they had, and, and, and something else he said so disconcerted, and my people love to have it that way. My people tolerate it, put up with it. And he said, what do you think the end of all of this is going to be? Well, we know how Israel ended up when they went a whoring from God. They went after other gods and they had false prophets giving them false peace and false comfort. Amen. Their enemies began to defeat them. Their enemies prevailed over people that couldn't be beaten as long as they stood for God and God stood for them. So the day of the false prophet is not over. In the last day it would be more prominent than ever. What shall be the sign of thy coming? When shall these things be? Matthew 24 verse 11. Many false prophets shall go out into the earth and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. You can see what the tear among the wheat is achieving and doing. That ardent devotion to Christ is beginning to cool down. I had a lady tell me one time, a paper won't keep us together because she didn't want to uh, come into a marriage covenant. <laughs> Said a paper can't keep us together. And you know something? I hardly agree. A paper, a legal document can't keep you together. But if you fall in real, genuine love for one another, that will keep you together. Because love bears all things. Love endures all things. Love believes all things. Can you say man? Love will, will hold you together. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I convinced her, if you love somebody and you know that they love you and you're both Christians, make the marriage covenant. Make the covenant. See, wheat and tares are already being spiritually. Until Jesus comes, the real separation, the angelic separation is not going to take place. But the spiritual separation is here. And it's occurring now. Amen. Franklin Graham, I love his stand for Jesus. I love his stand for Jesus. I said I love his stand for Jesus. Can you say man? He preached a crusade and they were on their way out of this tent crusade that they'd had somewhere. And a young lady came running up to him. Ran up to the door and beat on the window of his car. And he let down the window and she said, she said, Brother Graham, I want to thank you for preaching the gospel. I gave my heart to Jesus last night. And I'm waiting for my mother to pick me up and take me home. I was living with my boyfriend. And he's not a Christian. And he's upset that I've become a Christian. See, there was a day that becoming a Christian meant that you're part of a different kingdom. And things begin to change in your life. And she knew, I've come to Christ. I'm not going to live in what he said was sin anymore. I want to please God more than I want to please my boyfriend. 
And then the boyfriend said, thank you for preaching the gospel. I was living with my boyfriend, but, but I'm going to wait and see if he wants to come to Jesus. I'm not going to live with him anymore. Amen. I want, a, I want a marriage that God can honor and God can bless. And the boyfriend come running up and cussed him out. Of course he cussed him out. He lost his main squeeze in sex without commitment. Because somebody really got saved. Really came to Christ. Rick Humbard, the first mega church was in Ohio. When he built that cathedral of tomorrow. And he said his daddy went into a coal mine in town where moonshine was the major industry. Preached the gospel and all those drinkers of moonshine. My daddy lived in a dry county in Middlesboro, Kentucky. And you know how they delivered the moonshine? They took milk jugs and painted them white. Filled them with moonshine. And put them with the milk. When they delivered the milk, they got one quart of milk and one quart of moonshine. And well, Rex, I thought it was pretty... pretty Pretty innovative, can you say that? Nobody knows you're drinking that old stinking moonshine. They think you're drinking mama's milk. Can you say, man, from the mama cow, Elsie, Elsie the Borden cow. You know what happened? D.L. Moody's daddy preached the gospel. And when you preach the gospel with power, Holy Ghost conviction comes. When people are drawn by the Lord and, and not just walk down the aisle and baptized in water and go home and live for the devil and amen, don't think anything about what God wants or what God's wills or what God's word says. Amen. Rex Humbard's daddy preached the gospel in an old canvas tent in a coal mine in town whose major industry was not the coal mine, it was moonshine. The sellers of it and the buyers of it. One Friday night, those a bunch of people that were drinking that stuff got gloriously saved. And they quit ordering moonshine. And the moonshiners got exceedingly upset about it. See, the devil don't care if you just go to church and continue your own your old behavior, your old life. But when everything becomes new, it really upsets him. Because he's lost a candidate for hell. And not only that, but you now become a positive force for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change and transform lives. You become the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And ain't nothing he can do about it. For the light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. We're here for a purpose. God knew we would be here at a time such as this. God knew we would be here at the time of the false prophets. God knew we would. Listen, I've got so discouraged and disgusted. Amen. That people that know the truth will not support the truth. That I've just wanted to do what Jeremiah did. And just, just 
why don't I just retire? Let everybody go to some church somewhere that's going to entertain them. Honey, I can't do that. I can't stop. I can't just turn it off. It is a fire. It is a genuine fire. It is shut up in my very bones. If there was nobody here but three people, I would want to preach this morning with fire. Can you? I don't need a crowd to infuse that into me. It's not the energy of the crowd. It's the energy of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And I feel it down in the depths of my soul, Brother Hodges. Brother Hodges, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I want to see people saved like that again. I want to see people come to know the Lord and have a life-changing encounter. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. Can you say man? And it's walking in this newness of life. On channel 22, a, a prominent pastor lamenting what the tares among the wheat. See, when you preach the gospel, that if you come to Christ at 10 or 11, you never have to honor God, serve God. You can go with the flow. You can identify totally with the culture and forget the Lordship of Christ. And you're saved for the rest of your life. Forget about it. And that gospel is making the tares comfortable. On their way to hell. He said a young lady that came up through their Sunday school department. Now is 19 years of age. Graduate from high school. First year of college. She said, I'm living with my boyfriend. She came for counseling because her parents asked her, would you go talk to the pastor? I'm living with my boyfriend. We're not married. And he's studying to be a doctor, and he's not ready to get married. And I don't know what she was studying, what her major was. But it's typical of so many of the university campuses. Most people who call themselves Christian, when they hit college, And they don't have their Christian peers. They don't have their pastor. They don't have their mother and father if they're Christian. They have to have some root in themselves, some devotion in themselves, some commitment in themselves. And they're in a culture in college. Most of the professors, if not all, are atheistic and humanistic. Most of their peers are living the... Experiencing that freedom from accountability and responsibility. And most of them, as one statistic said, lose their faith. Let me tell you about tares. Tares didn't have the faith to begin with. They can't go counterculture because they have never been born again. They just went to church. And assumed by going to church, someone told them, that's all you need. That's why many tares think they're going to heaven. They, they're not worried about dying right now, whether they know Christ or not. They assume they do. 
And no one challenges them. Because there's tears in the pulpit too. And getting the heads in the building for the next project or to meet the budget. And I know there's tears in the pulpit because I've sat with them in ministers' conferences. And I know what their values are. Are you judging them? No, honey, when they open their mouth, they let me see in their heart. I went to a pastor's situation and there were two pastors knew each other, said at the table, I didn't know any of them. And, and one of them said, we, one of them asked the other, said, Are you, have you started your building project? One pastor looked over at the other and he said, yes, we have. He said, but we need, in order to meet our new budget that would accommodate all that we're putting out for this new building project, we need at least 50 new families in our church to do what? To come to Christ, 50 families that are saved. No, we need 50 families to be added to our church to do what? To meet the budget. To meet the budget. To meet the budget. This is a Bible scholar. This is, a, this is someone that graduated from a theological seminary. But do they have the heart of God? Have they met the... Do, you have to question if anybody's even saved that don't care about where souls spend eternity. And when they look at people, they see dollar signs. You have to ask yourself, when did you meet Jesus? And what, what changed in your value system? Amen? This is, this is the reality of today. He said, so next week, we're sending a group out from our church to try to get 50 families to come to church. I thought we were supposed to get people to come to Christ. For the sake of where they're going to spend eternity. You know what the Apostle Paul said? Therefore knowing something that people hardly ever touch on anymore. Therefore knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. It's a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. It's a terrible thing to have to stand with our sin and our rebellion. Before a holy God that can't take us in the back door to heaven because there's no back door there's only one doorway jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life if any man tries to climb up some other way amen he's the same as a thief and and a liar and a murderer and a liar there's no other way to god except through jesus christ and there's no way to come to him except be convicted of our sin and to repent of it and if any man be in christ he is a new creation Old things are passed away. Amen. That's what pervaded the Roman Catholic Church is so many priests that never came to Christ as their Savior. But they studied for the priesthood. They had, they had nothing in them to help them to overcome temptation. Not even, they, they might have wanted to do right, but they, so many of them gave in. Because salvation can't be given to you by a priest. Your sins can't be absolved. There's only one priest, the high priest of our salvation, Jesus Christ, that can remit your sin. How we need this message. There are tares among the wheat. The tares bow down with fruit. 
or, or stand tall in pride, they do not bow. They do not bow. They do not bow. The Lordship of Jesus is not presented. So we see people living for the world. They knew my stand where I worked. They knew where I was coming from. And so a deacon came to me on the lunch break. He said there was a man that came to our church Sunday to preach the grace of God. And this is what he told him. He told me what his sermon was. And believe it or not, even though I disagreed with the sermon, they invited me to come and preach. Now, when you do that, you're taking a big risk. Can you say amen? Because I'm going to preach what the Lord gives me. So when they invited me to come preach, it was entirely different than what they were expecting. It was a men's meeting on a Wednesday night. They asked me to come and speak. And I thought, wow, this is going to be great, men only. I thought, let me, let me try to be appropriate to this situation that I'm going to be in. You know, and I, 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 I studied King David, a man after God's own heart. Now, I thought, boy, we're going to wow them with this message. Man, they go, when I get through preaching, they're going to be saying, glory to God. I want to be a godly man, how to live godly in an ungodly world. We're going to have a time in Jesus. I'm going to preach that message about David and men. Well, the problem was I'd been there one time before, and, and I'm surprised they asked me to come back, but they did. And especially after the encounter in the lunchroom, because in the lunchroom, he said a man came preaching grace to our church and the, the strength of grace, the power of grace. And I'm looking at him like, uh-oh, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. When you preach grace as a license to sin, once you, once you move over into that, amen, it's a slippery slope. Amen. Tares are being taught that they can live that kind of lifestyle. They can never repent. They can never be convicted of the Holy Spirit. They can never bear any fruit that indicates that salvation has occurred and get a front row seat in heaven. And it's not only preached in the church in the pulpits is preached at the funerals of those people. He said he taught us. He taught us that if a man who has come to Jesus when he was 12 years old never lived his life for the Lord goes into a bar and gets drunk Goes in the back room and shoots up cocaine. Goes upstairs to the brothel and lays with a prostitute even though he's married to a wife. Walks out the door and shakes his fist at heaven and blasphemes God. And gets hit by a truck. He'll go to heaven. I said, you know what the Bible says? The Bible said the grace of God has appeared unto all men 
teaching us that we can sin with impunity. We can sin as if we've never been saved. Teaching us, amen, that we should live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world. Can you say amen? Listen to me, church. That kind of teaching is a damnable heresy damnable in this sense people who receive it will will be damned they will live their life banished from god separated from god and punished with the wicked so i stand very bold and they invited me back because i believe something clicked in him I heard him talking to some men one day because we had some cares there that are trying to witness to people, but they couldn't because their life was so filled with wickedness and sin and debauchery that no one would listen to them. And I heard him telling a young man that that had turned off several people who said they were Christian and didn't live any semblance of a Christian life publicly. And I appreciated what he said. And I'm glad I was out of clergy world and out there in the world that you have to go out into day in and day out and interact with the culture. He said, I'm going to tell you something. This was this deacon. He said, I'm going to tell you something about him. Talking about me. You see, normally when people talk about me, I, I listen. Whether it's good or bad, I listen. I want to hear how I'm doing. I'm, I'm like a little boy at the grocery store. He'd only been working for a month after he got out of high school. Working as a, as, a, as a stock boy at the grocery store. He was concerned about his job. He wanted to do the best he could. He didn't ever want to lose his job. So he called his boss up. His own boss. And he said, I want to ask you about Jimmy Johnson. He said, well, what do you want to know? He's one of my employees. What do you want to know? He said, I want to know if he's doing a good job or not. He said, he's doing a wonderful job. He's a hard worker. He's always here on time. He's faithful. He's doing a wonderful job. If he keeps working like this, he's going to go places. And he said, by the way, who are you? He said, I'm Jimmy Johnson. I just wanted to check up and see how I was doing. Can you say, man? Well, friend, I want to know how I'm doing out there in the real world, out there where the rubber meets the road, out there in the culture. Not as a preacher, but as a follower of Jesus Christ. Not as a prophet, an apostle, an evangelist, but as a man who loves God, who would serve God if I had no titles at all. Hallelujah. And I heard this deacon tell this guy, the Rev, everybody in the, in the plant, because I was bivocational for 12 years, everybody in the plant, production plant, they couldn't use their nicknames. Some of them were kind of weird. Uh, so they couldn't use their nicknames on their, their jackets that they give you when you win the safety awards and they give everybody a jacket because you hadn't had an accident in six or eight months or whatever. So they, they all said you can't use your, you can't use your nickname. You've got to use your first name. And so it was embroidered on this, you know, kind of nylon jacket. Black nylon said name of the company and then your name over here. And everybody there was there was there was John's and Jesse's and Jack's and, and then they handed mine to me and it said Rev. <laughs> Nobody knew me by Robert. They knew me. He's the Rev. 
He's the rev. He's the rev. He's the rev. And I wanted to, I, I wanted so much to live up to that title of a reverend. But more than that, I wanted to live up to the title Christian. I wanted to live up to the title Christian. So my ears picked up when I heard him talking because I heard the rev mentioned. I thought, that's me. Amen. He was on the other side where we get dressed. And he said they were talking about somebody that had his life threatened because he's messing with somebody's wife. And he called himself some kind of lay minister. And by the way, if you mess with somebody's wife, you being yeah, you're in trouble and being a rev ain't gonna help you. With God or with whoever's wife husband. Amen. I would strongly suggest you don't do that. Amen. Said, Well the Rev, he's real. I thought that's what I want to be. I want to make it very clear. I didn't get in this to get rich. I didn't get in it for fame or some ulterior motive. I got into the gospel because I got saved and God called me to preach. And I have a desire, Brother Taylor, that other people come to know Christ. And I want, I'm going to heaven. I don't just want to go. I'm going to heaven. Amen. And I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. And I want tares, if they recognize they are tares, to get saved and become wheat. Can you say amen? And I want wheat to not hang out with tares. So that you be pressured and tempted to compromise your standard in order to have friendship. Like the guy that told me, you know, used to come here. Don't try to figure out who it is. There's been so many left. There's, there's more left than came. So you could never figure it out. He's talking about sitting in a, in a Hooters. That's where they have owl pictures on the wall, I think, from all over the country. Isn't that right, Hooters? That's... That's where they have pictures of owls, hoot, hoot owls, some kind of Audubon club or something. He, he said, I love to go in with my friend and told me what kind of drink they had and, and told me about all the, the women they sit and ogled. Now, this person will talk in tongues given the opportunity. No qualms about leering at women sexually. Has no qualms about drinking. There's phony tongues. Without the true love of God, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. It loses any spiritually, spiritual quality or substance. I've had false prophets come to me and try to seal their, their falsehood by speaking in tongues. As if I would give them credibility for the tongues rather than the truth. And we went through something in the charismatic world where if we heard tongues, we assume that person is a dedicated Christian following truth. And that was a mis assumption we didn't stop to see what they really believed or if they believed at all 
And if we felt something, when it was being preached, we felt some kind of liver shiver, goose pimple, whatever, we assumed everything was okay. The Bible said in no marvel if Satan himself be transformed as an angel of light and his ministers as what? Ministers of righteousness. So this love of the truth in the old covenant when, the, when they went to the false prophets and they wouldn't listen to the truth, it said truth has fallen in the street and no one lays it to heart. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. I'm being entertained. I'm being, I'm not being convicted. I'm told everything is just fine and going to get better. Amen. So they will heap to the, the time will come. And it's here. It's a last day sign. It's a sign in the church. The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, the truth. But they will heap. They'll, they will support ministries. They will sit in huge congregations. They will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. If you tell me what I want to hear on Sunday, I'll support you. I'll come. I'll give. I'll be there. And just because a ministry is thriving because of so much support doesn't mean it's God that's doing it. If the blind lead the blind. You know what God said of the prophets of old? They prophesied their, by their means, and my people love to have it that way. My people love. See, that's the hypocrisy. Once we start lowering the standard and making the concessions and the compromises, we end up going the way of the world. And we end up losing our commitment to follow Christ. Because it's such a shallow commitment. Oh, if you ever fall in love with the Lord. If you love Him back for loving you. It endures all things. It'll endure the temptations and the pressures. Oh, I'm in love with my wife Pamela. We fell in love at 16 and 14. No one believed it was love. Because they didn't think you could love that deeply that young. And most people at that stage probably can't. And some people never do. And we went through the storms. And I'm not bragging. We were praying on the way to church only by the grace of God that we are still married and that we are still serving Jesus today. Only the grace of God. But the grace of God is sufficient. And if both of us love Him, He gives us a love for each other. And it's not the emotional kind. It's a deeper love than that. In fact, we begin to love each other with the kind of love that God loved us with. Can you say amen? And we start start loving Jesus with the same love wherewith He has loved us. And that is possible because the Bible said we're to love one another with, with the same love wherewith God has loved us. It's a powerful love. It doesn't break down when someone fails you. It doesn't break down under pressure. When we first got married, my wife went to cash and carry to get our groceries. She had on a wedding band. Used to, that meant something. Amen? Used to, it meant something. 
and a bag boy. Because, you know, my wife was quite fetching. And a bag boy came up to her and said, Do you date out? Do you date out? In other words, I see your wedding band, but we know there's a whole lot of people wearing wedding bands that date out anyway. Do you date out? She wasn't even a Christian, I don't believe, when that happened. And because of her commitment at that time, she said, no, I do not. She came home and told me about it. She said, and I told him, no, I don't. And I thought, good girl. Now I won't have to whoop you. But I feel like going there and whooping on him. Didn't he see that ring? It may not mean anything to him, but it means something to me. They laughed Billy Graham to scorn when he went on Johnny Carson one night. And he said that he was a virgin when he married his wife and she was a virgin too. And they, they laughed at him. Johnny Carson couldn't keep a straight face because they'd kept themselves. They'd come to Christ and actually in a culture that says anything goes, they kept themselves for one another. Amen. Something unheard of. And Billy Graham looked at an audience laughing, looked at a smiling Johnny Carson and said, I'll tell you somebody who isn't laughing. And it's my wife. And my God. Can you say man? There was a time. That a wedding band. Meant a commitment. And you know what the apostle Paul said? He said I have committed you. I have, the gospel that I have preached. Has. How's that word? I have espoused you. I have espoused you through my gospel. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for you, I couldn't do anything. Hallelujah. I've espoused you. Amen. You know what espoused means? That means I'm engaged to be married. Until I am married, there's no one else but the one I'm engaged to. I don't date out no more. Can you say man? Hallelujah. I might have played the field. I might have been a player until I got engaged. But engagement used to mean, amen, that you keep yourself for the one that you're betrothed to. Can you say man? And there was a time when married meant that you were absolutely committed to that person and no one else. You didn't date out. You didn't give in to temptation. You didn't get out and let sin and temptation overwhelm you. You found everything in the person you were committed to. So Paul said, when I preached the gospel and you came to Christ, I betrothed you. I espoused you to one husband. <laughs> that I may present you unto Christ a chaste virgin. Why? Because our sins have been washed away. And if we don't go back in it, hallelujah, we're not going to be polluted by it. Can you say man? Thank you for the hand clap. I wish somebody would join him up here. It's possible to live in victory today. But we need when people come to Jesus, they need to make a commitment. Hallelujah. The communion table is not where you come to negotiate with God about what His will is and what you're willing to do. 
The communion table is where you come to agree to unconditional surrender. If any man will be my disciple, you've got to start with self-denial, not self-indulgence. Oh, by the way, I've never given up anything that I miss. I drink all the whiskey I want. I'm not going to go into graphic things, but I'm telling you, I'm fulfilled. Brother Venable, what if you were free to do what you want to? I'd nothing I'd rather do than, than what I'm doing. No, nothing. 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 I'm with the woman I love. Till death do us part. I used to go out and cruise around looking for somebody to have. I was so lonesome. I hear... The lonesome whistle blow. You know the chorus, I'm so lonesome I could die. I live down at the end of Lonely Street in Heartbreak Hotel. Can you say, oh yeah, I, I, my mom and dad divorced. I got left in the lurch. I didn't have many friends. I was looking for somebody. I, I remember all them people looking for somebody. I remember driving around the sipping smack in Brandon looking for somebody. Amen. Looking back to see if she was looking back to see if I was looking back to see if she was looking back at me. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. But when I found someone who loved me and, and, and made a commitment to me I thought I have found what everybody else is looking for amen I don't date out because I don't need to date out uh, and when I came to Jesus Paul said when I when I preach the gospel I want people to make a deep devoted commitment so that when Jesus comes I can present the people that have come to Christ under my ministry a chaste virgin can you say man Vance Habner said we talk more today about worldly Christians he said let me tell you something he said if we're going to call Christians who are of the world and they're in the world and they love the world and they live for the things of this world he said if we're going to call them Christian we might as well talk about a heavenly devil can you say man you can't have it both ways if you're going to be a Christian you've got to realize that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and if you're going to follow Jesus it's going to involve self-denial not self-indulgence and if you're going to follow Jesus you have to deny yourself and take up your cross oh poor me taking up my cross I've never been been so glad, amen, to have my flesh crucified that my spirit may be blessed in the presence of God today. Oh, no, I don't get everything my flesh wants because I in my spirit don't want what my flesh wants anymore. Hallelujah. There's something better than sin. Some people haven't discovered there's something better. Am I going to have to give up my sin? Oh, poor me. No, you're going to make more room for God. Hallelujah. I don't want it. I don't want it. My temptations come mainly in the way now. They come in the way of discouragement. Sometimes I just want to throw in the towel and say, let somebody else run with it. Everybody seems to know how to get it done. 
But then the Spirit of the Lord in me says, as long as you've got breath and an opportunity and somebody that will listen, I want you to keep telling the truth. Hallelujah. So I'm still committed to truth with all the empty seats. I'm still committed to truth with all the people that I'm watching backslide. That I'm watching the tares have such an influence on. That they're, instead of them winning people to Christ, people are pulling them from their, their devotion and their once held stand for God. And they're giving in. And they're going the way of the world. And the things of the world take them away from their personal commitment that they used to have. And that's called backsliding. Either we're going to influence the world or the world is going to influence us. And Satan's strategy has put tares among the wheat. So these people are church-going people. These people hold positions in church. These people sing in the choir and teach Sunday school. And they, they're living like this. They're living like this. You'll be a pastor this many years. You assume certain people will never begin to give in we'll never quit putting the kingdom first we'll never let the world impact them and influence them to move away from what was once their stand for God the heartbreaking truth is I'm watching it occur more and more now than it's ever occurred in any time in the history of the church and in my personal life seeing more people that I assumed that person is so deeply committed to Christ. That person has exhorted others. That person has told others. When they were on that slippery slope, slipping away, you need to get it back. You need to get it right. Now I'm going to say something very serious as we close. Because it's later than I intended to be. But this is such an important message. In fact, I can't tell you that right now. Tears among wheat. They can't see. They can't feel conviction. Because they have played the role so long. They can't see their need for repentance. They can see your problems. They can see your weakness. But they can't see themselves as they truly are. They never do an honest self-inventory. Because they're just those church-going people. Going with the flow of the world. I had a man stand in my pulpit years ago. He, with a couple of other young men, said, I'm calling this church on a fast. We're going on a fast, whether our pastor does or not. I thought, okay. I believe in fasting. But I do not believe in that prideful, self-willed, condescending way you're talking to your minister in the name of spirituality. Y'all don't have to fast. Y'all don't want to, but we're going to. We're going to see a revival in this church. I thought, okay. He came to my home one day and I was getting a tan. Generally, when I tan, I take my shirt off. I was in my backyard where nobody could see me. And God knows what I look like without my shirt on. I wasn't indecent. I didn't have on a bikini. 
men's bikini. I had I was listening to music on my radio. This young man came up looking for me, came in the backyard. I was laying listening to my radio. And he said, What are you listening to? What am I listening to? What is your problem? Have you ever listened? Actually, I was listening to 50 songs that took me back to when my wife and I were dating. They're pretty neat. Amen. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple. Oh, that's going to really mess you up. That, that was a song. I'm, have, you don't remember it. None of y'all remember it, but you remember it. And, oh, and I love this one. I want to be Bobby's girl. I want to be Bobby's girl. That's the one thing I want to be. If I could just be Bobby's girl, what a fateful, loving girl I would be. I love that song. I don't know what it is about it. Just something about it. Just I love that song. And Ernie Cado. Sitting here, la la, waiting on my ya ya. Mm. You know Ernie Kado. <laughs> you know Ernie Kado. When you met Rose, you told her your ya ya. I know, I know. <laughs> he thought somehow if I'm not listening to CIE, that I'm probably the pastor's backsliding. Yeah, come on, let's get back in the 50s. Come on, let's go on back. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. None of that's going to pull me away from Him. I listen to Christian music more than any other music. I praise Him. Hallelujah. But I love my life, and I love the joyous things and the good things. To the pure, all things are pure. You're not looking. You're looking through a different lens. Hallelujah. Anyway, this accusing finger, this constantly accusing, this constantly, I'm up here and you're down there and you need to be up here where I am. This same man, when you've got tares among the wheat, you will think because sometimes they, 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 in order for you not to see the real heart, they will promote themselves as spiritual above everybody else. And listen, they are pretty believable sometimes. Because until time for the fruit, you can't tell them from the wheat. But let me tell you something. In this tide of wickedness that is in this world, a tear will not stand. They will give in to the pull of the world because they don't have Him that is greater than the world living in them. And you can't stand the pull and the pressure to, to conform without it. No one can. So there is a separation that's happening before that last day separating. And it is the fact that everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. So that that which cannot be shaken might remain. The church Jesus is coming for is going to come through this great shaking and this great sifting. Because we are espoused 
to one husband. And we do not date out. If any man love, the, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is of the world, and the world passes away. Amen. But he that does the will of the Father will abide forever. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about, amen, a people who want to do right before God. They've got a want to in their heart. And when they fall down, they get back up. And when they sin, they confess it. And they go on and follow Jesus. Counterculture. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this man that put himself above everyone in the church in the name of spirituality. And you know who it is. And he hung out with the right people and he said the right things and he did the right things and he seemed to be so spiritual. Supposed to be on the way to church on a Wednesday night. He picks up a young person to bring to church. A young lady attempts to force himself on her. When you start standing and putting forth the finger, when you start putting yourself on a spiritual pedestal because you know some scriptures, you put yourself above spiritual leadership, you put yourself above those that are there to help you take a good look at yourself and quit looking so hard at everybody else. And I'm accountable. You find fault in me, let's talk about it. But let's talk as two men who want to follow truth and want to follow Christ. Hallelujah. Two women. He's put in prison for attempted rape. I called him in prison. And when I got him on the phone, I realized he was a tear among the wheat all the time. He was so blind to his own sin. Because he wasn't just a Christian that got tempted. Because if you're a Christian and you find yourself in that, you're, number one, you're ashamed and you're convicted and you want to get right with God. He began to tell me about his ministry in prison. That God had him in prison so he could minister to those men. No, God had you in prison because the law put you in prison because you were trying to hurt a young lady in our church sexually. That's one of those people that didn't listen to one message from the pulpit. That's one of those people that needed to be in the altar and get right. That's one of those people that didn't see their need. They could only see your need. And there are people like that in every church, and Satan has sown them there. And the Bible said, unless the days be shortened, the very elect would be deceived by this. Self-deception is the worst kind that there is. His ministry. His ministry. 
He couldn't even stop coming over. See, the tear is so into the hypocrisy of acting and saying and doing all the things that would convince people that they're Christian. That they never see their own need even when they're in that mess and messed up that bad. They're still talking about their ministry instead of their need for repentance and salvation and forgiveness. Would God have forgiven? Yes, if there had been repentance. Was there repentance? No. No! And I thought, I can't talk to you about repentance because you haven't changed. You're a tear. You've played the role so long. You've told the lie so long. You believe the lie yourself. Amen? Did you know if you tell a lie long enough, you can start believing the lie yourself and that's why truth is so vitally important not only the preaching of it but the acceptance of it he went to sleep in his bed as far as I know with that same attitude smoking a cigarette laying in bed drifted off to sleep after he got out of prison the cigarette caught the bedclothes on fire. And he woke up on fire. And he ran from the burning room. And he died of his burns and injuries. This tear wheat stuff is serious business. It's serious, Brother Hobbs. It's dead serious. Had a man came to our church. He stirred up trouble. Some of you may have left at one time because of the trouble and the aspersions that he cast. I prayed for him. When he first came, he was humble. He was submissive, submissive. He confessed to me personally a sin of incest within his family. No one knew it but me. Everyone thought he was the paragon of spirituality. Sin can be forgiven if someone truly humbles himself and repents. But if someone just wants a band-aid put on something that goes so much deeper an uncontrolled sexual appetite that doesn't see any barriers or draw any lines. And yet, he came over as an elder, as someone that should be looked up to and respected and looked to as a leadership person. He never lost that prideful, even though I told him God will forgive any sin that's confessed and repented. The problem is, he just wanted me to assure him that his sin was forgiven. What I didn't know was he hadn't truly repented. Because repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry I did that without something occurring in the heart. Something has to occur in the heart. To repent means 180 degree turn. I am on this path and I go back the other way. Amen. Repentance hasn't occurred just because you pray at an altar. It's what you do when you walk 
out the door. Can you say amen? You're either going to follow Jesus or follow the pernicious ways of those tares. That by reason of their own lawlessness, they're going to cause others to falter. And I'm seeing people fall right now, and I pray they come back to Christ. But I'm seeing dear friends fall. They're not just falling from grace. They're falling away from God. And I thought, this is the man. This is the man. This is the man. Fifty years in ministry. Almost. Forty-three years coming up. Forty-two. Somewhere along. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. So this man becomes subversive, accusive, critical, and divisive. And he finally, after calling me and blessing me out, he didn't use cuss words, but he, he just wanted to destroy the ministry, destroy our character, our reputation, everything else that he could destroy. And he was accusing some other ministers here and there along the way. And he left the church. And I didn't hear from him for a year. And after about a year, his wife called me. And she said, Pastor Venerable, do you remember so-and-so? I said, oh, yes. How's he doing? I haven't seen him since he left. Is he okay? She said, no, he's not okay. He's not okay. He's in Tampa General Hospital, and he's dying of cancer. He can hardly speak. He's got tubes all in him. She said, Pastor, but that's not the worst thing. said, he was cruel. He dated out on me all the time. And I don't know if he's ever met Jesus, but he's went to church all his life. Would you go and visit him? I don't know if this man who's been in church all his life and could talk church talk, if he's ever met Christ. See, we assume that someone's met him because they say they've met him and because it's so easy for us to tell them that they've met him. They don't have to be convicted. They don't have to repent. They can hold on to their pride and stand tall. You're saved like that and then to what degree you allow Jesus to be your Lord. Oh, that's up to you. I don't believe you can get saved unless you're willing to bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've got to change masters, and Lord means master. And you're mastered by somebody, and so am I. Doesn't mean weak. Listen, Christians mess up, but real Christians get up. Can you say, man, they don't stay in that state? I went to Tampa General. I went in that room. And my heart, I didn't have that good enough for you. Well, now you, the real deal's coming out. You shouldn't. No, no, no. This is a soul. And this is the last breaths of life this side of eternity. 
And I felt God's love, brother. I felt, God, I felt the broken heart of Jesus, the broken heart of God. And when I preach like this, people think that, oh, I'm glad. that No, 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 there's nothing in it, nothing about gladness. There's nothing but sadness. And I prayed, I said, my dear brother, whether you can hear me or not, I do not know. But I know that I need a Savior. We need a Savior, and you need a Savior. And I'm begging you now in the name of Jesus Christ to repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior. I believe God would save him that quick. I don't know what happened. I know after I left, he drew the last breaths this side of eternity. And I know his soul went somewhere to spend that eternity. And I know one of the things that kept him out of an altar over and over and over again was his sense of false security. Twelve disciples. This didn't just start. This has just continued to escalate to the last day. Twelve followers of Jesus. One of them is a tear among the wheat. They heard every sermon he preached. Sat at the table and ate with him and saw the miracles. And Judas was so convincing of his commitment to follow Christ. That when Jesus said, one of you shall betray me, nobody looked at Judas. In fact, Simon Peter said, you can tell the wheat. The tear is so full of pride and self-deception. Peter said, is it I? Is it I? And it ended up, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He, he was afraid and timid and he drew back when he should have stood bold. But he did not do what Judas did. But Judas convinced everyone. And on top of everything else, guess what they appointed Judas to as the office among the twelve? The treasurer. If you know somebody's a fake and a fraud, you do not give them the bag. To, he said he was the one that held the bag. Can you say, man, whatever contributions they had, he had control over. Amen. And you know something? Jesus said he didn't backslide. He wasn't somebody that front slid and then backslid. Can you say, man, he was not a backslider. Amen. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, he never was committed to follow Jesus Christ. Can you say, man, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, Judas joined that crowd under false pretenses. And I mean, they, they, they looked you up and down, but Jesus knew it all the time. And let me tell you something else. We can stand in pulpits. We can wear long robes. We can talk about, we can talk in tongues. We can prophesy. We can do a lot of things, but God knows who I am and God knows who you are. And one day we're going to stand before Him. Can you say amen? And I want to know right now how it stands between me and God I want to be challenged on Sunday morning I don't want to go with the flow of the, of the latest group of ecclesiastical hypocrites can you say amen I want to see you in heaven I want to see you in heaven. I'm not going to assume you're going to be there. But I don't know if you're going to make it or not. You need to know it. It's not me that thinks it. It's you that know it. And I love what 1 John, 1 John is a litmus test for salvation. 
I've written these things unto you that you might know you have eternal life. I'm not trying to shake your faith. I'm trying to shape it into something that is so very strong it stands the test. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Having a form of godliness denying the power thereof. The book of Jude, written in the first century, speaks of the infiltration of the Christian assemblies by people who are not of God. Jude 1.4 said, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, which means immorality, and denying the only God and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter warns us concerning the presence of the wicked, of those who never were born of God in the assemblies of Christians. Second Peter 2 in verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers, false teachers, false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Jude claims the wicked teachers and members of the Christian assemblies turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, into freedom from moral restraint. You come to Christ, you have no further responsibility to live any kind of life that represents a higher moral standard than this fallen world. Pretty incredible stuff. So I hope to see you in heaven. How many want me to see you in heaven? I really want to see you there. I'm going to challenge you to make sure you're going there on Sunday morning. Brother Venable, you're trying to shake my faith? No, I'm trying to shape your faith into something that can't be shaken. Amen? You don't want to wait till you die and start hollering, Lord, when you stand before the judge of all things that knew all about you all along. You want him to show you yourself right here and now. David had already blew it so bad. He said, I don't want to ever blow it like that again. He said, search me. Search me. Search me. You know what they got now at the airport? Not only are they going to pat you down if they feel it's necessary, you're going to walk into a machine and it's going to show everything. Can you say, man, they're going to look at your bones. They're going to look at, come on, it's going to go all the way to the bone. Come on, they're going to see it all. Come on, even nudist colleagues can't see what they're going to see when you walk in that thing. Can you say, man? They can't see your skeleton. They can't see your deep inside. They know that people can hide stuff in body cavities. And, and they know that they're willing to do it in order to do what they're out to do. So you walk in a machine that shows you. They, they, oh, man, ain't nothing. Listen, God's got one of those. But it's a spiritual one. And there's nothing hid. Nothing hid. Nothing hid. There's 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 nothing hid from the eyes of Him of whom we have to do. Can you say man? Hallelujah. And David said, I'm not afraid of His scrutiny. I judged myself and I missed it. I want God to check me out. I want to be like Johnny. I want to call my boss man and ask him how I'm doing. Can you say man? Hallelujah. I want to do this thing right. 
This is a revival sermon because we need a Holy Ghost revival. Because the spiritual sifting, not the angelic at the end, the spiritual sifting is taking place right now. When they bring that wheat in the barn, it ain't over. It ain't over. It ain't over. Then they beat it with sticks. And the chaff and the kernel are separated from one another. And Jesus said, I stand in the garner. My fan is in my hand. So one of them beat it with sticks. I'm going to tell you, amen. I felt the sticks. (laughs) I know I must be weak because... (laughs) Amen. But it's so the wheat can be separated from the chaff. I stand in the garner. My fan is in my hand. What was the person's job with the fan after they beat it? The chaff now is mingled with it. What does a fan do? It blows away the chaff and leaves only the grain. He said, my fan is in my hand. It's another way of saying now you're clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Can you say, man, now you're clean. The chaff is blown away. What's left is pure. And I'm going to tell you the wind is blowing. Hallelujah. The contrary wind is blowing. And if you're a Christian, it's time to go against the culture, counterculture, and against the wind. Can you, an upstream Christian in a downstream world will prove your faith. Here's what the scripture said. I got to close. But this is revival time that we're taking. Every branch, every, every, everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. If you're being shaken today, find out where you stand with God. It's time to find out where you truly stand with God. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken for a positive reason. That that which cannot be shaken might remain. You see the wheat, the blowing away of the chaff, the separating of the wheat and the tares, that that cannot be shaken might remain. Something is happening to purify a church and a bride for Jesus Christ. Can you say, man, a, believe me, a chaste, the real gospel is going to produce a chaste virgin. Not someone who is committing spiritual adultery and that's what God calls it. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? If you go with the culture and you go with the flow, you're making yourself the enemy of God because this world is against everything that God is for. Hallelujah. And in the midst of this shaking, listen to this. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. 
Hallelujah. How does he know? He sealed us with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Glory be to God. We bear His mark. He's not going to have, when He comes, He's not going to have to try to figure it out on an individual basis. He already knows, and we bear His mark. We bear His brand. We're His sheep. Speaking, His DNA is in us. Glory. Don't get me cranked up again. I'm trying to quit. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. But I'm glad you saw that. Hallelujah. Play the my sheep. Hear my voice one more time. Everybody, let's stand together. And I want you to get this today. Jesus said, in the midst of the false prophet, the false teaching, the false leadings, the the religious spirits, He said, don't you worry about my church. Don't worry about my church. I'm not talking about denomination. I'm talking about Christians who are true followers of Christ. Real revival has always saw church people getting saved, not just the world. Every time that's a real revival, there were people that sat in church for years that got saved. Because real revival is not just for the world, it's for us. And if you're saved, you don't need it. But if you're a tear, i got good news for you. Holy Ghost is going to convict you. If you don't quit denying that you're not a Christian, you're on good ground to become a Christian. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Don't end up like this poor, wretched young man that wanted to preach to others so bad he never took a hard look at himself. That, want, that promoted a spiritual persona that didn't exist. And end up losing his testimony, losing his personal freedom and being in prison. And then end up being burned to death. And dying way before his time. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrite. Why? Saying who shall dwell with the devouring fire. The fire that warms us. That purifies us is a danger to them. They run from it while we run to it. So if you're sitting here today with a false sense of security, I want you to know Jesus as your Savior. If there's any doubt, you can stop that right here and right now and become one of His true sheep. And when you do, you'll hear His voice. Above all the lies and falsehoods, and the devil will not be able to hornswoggle and hoodwink you anymore, and truth will set you free. Would you show that everybody look with me? How many would run to Jesus if He called you right now? You won't run from Him. If He's calling you to purity, He's called you to repentance, He calls you to be saved, you'd run to Him. If you are that kind of spirit, you, you got that kind of spirit, you're one of His sheep. Rest assured. The tears run from him. Hallelujah.